talking about the better way, uh, the full assurance of faith has been the, the concept that has run through. And these three verses actually conclude that section. They bring it, they bring it to a conclusion. Uh, they really tie right back into where we have been, having given this, this vast array of people from the, from, from the antediluvians all the way through up until prior to Christ's coming, uh, <clears throat> who, whose salvation is based in, in the coming of Jesus Christ. The salvation would be through him. By their faith, was, that's where it was placed. And he even concluded in verse 40 by telling us that, that their salvation isn't complete until we are here. You know, we're part of it until the Christian age comes. In other words, until Christ comes and brings in the, the totality of, of, of redemption. Is, is the idea here. And then, and then he begins this, this final few verses that, uh, that are a conclusion. Uh, in fact, the therefore is a very unique, uh, a very unique Greek word. It's only used twice in, in the entire uh, uh, Greek New Testament. The only other place that it's used is in 1 Thessalonians 4.8, where, it where it's translated in the New American Standard anyway. I don't remember what the EVS said. I'd looked at it there, but I forgot. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's, it translates it so. Uh, but it is a word that means conclusion. It could be in summary, to conclude. Therefore, here is our conclusion, is kind of the idea. So that's, uh, that's what these, uh, these last, uh, these, la- these not last, but these, three ver- these first three verses of chapter 12 form. They form the conclusion uh, to where we have been. Uh, beginning in chapter 10, verse 19. That's that's really that's really what uh, what the idea here is. It can it is a it's a sense of conveying uh, conclusion. So uh, this morning, that's where we're going to go. That's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, are there any prayer requests anybody wants to offer up this morning? Or I uh, I thank you for those of you who prayed for Kathy. She got her shots. She can move her arms again, which is kind of nice. And uh, I don't listen to her moaning all night in bed because every time she moves, it hurts. So we're thankful for that. So, uh, are there any, is there anything else this morning? Yeah. I'm in the job hunting process, and that's never fun. So just all the things that go with that, and then I would be then I would be diligent in doing the things that I'm supposed to do. Okay. Job, I would trust God for the rest. I guess. All righty. Is this running or is it on pause? Okay. It says pause. That's why. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this morning as we, as we come to this text. Uh, we thank you for, uh, for the text that you have brought before us. And we ask, Lord, that your spirit would take these words and, and apply them to our hearts. That it would, it would draw us closer to our Lord Jesus. It would make us better servants. Uh, that we would feel that we would, we, would, uh, we would serve him all the stronger. We thank you for the examples of faith you've shown us in chapter 11. And we ask, Father, that our faith would be strengthened, uh, that we might serve you wholly, that we might hear those words, good and thankful, sir, uh, good and faithful servant, enter my rest. And Father, as we, as we uh, prepare for our time today, uh, we just uh, lift up Rebecca to you and ask you to help her in her job search, take her to the right school district and the right school and the right job. And we would just thank you for that. And we, uh, we feel that you, we know that you will in your good time and in your sovereign grace supply that. And we thank you. And we just ask now that, uh, this would be a time of refreshing, 
and a, and a time of learning and a time of drawing us closer to our Savior, Jesus. For it's in his name we ask. Amen. Okay, so, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the races set, us, set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And that's where we're going to be going this morning. I, uh, and I, I thought uh, when I was putting this sermon together, I always try to come up with some kind of a title. And uh, I uh, was looking at it, and I, w- I had a couple of different titles I was going to use. And, and then I thought, wait a minute, we use the music room. So why not use a musical title? So I made the t- I guess it should have been up on. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, I didn't want to plagiarize completely. So, so I changed the word. <laughs> yeah, so I could turn your eyes on Jesus. And that's really what this text is. That's the thrust of this text. That's really the thrust of it. So he begins off by saying, therefore, in conclusion, is another way this could have been said. It conveys the idea of conclusion. He says, he says, he says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by so great a cloud of, writ- of witnesses. Now, the idea here is the picture that he's going to lay out, the metaphor that he's laying out is a marathon race. In fact, it was called in Greek, the agon. It was a which is the word we get agony from. If you've ever been involved in any kind of long-running event, it's agony. It hurts. Uh, your lungs hurt, your legs hurt, your whole body hurts, your brain says quit. That's, that's, that's the idea. But the, the picture here is a marathon race. That's what he's, that's what he's, uh, that's what he's talking about. And he, and, he, and he pictures here a stadium, the marathon being run in, inside a stadium. That's the, the, the continuation of this metaphor. And he says, around this stadium are those who are watching. And he's speaking about all of those of verse 11 or chapter 11, all of those who preceded us in faith from Abel on through. And he, and he basically says, he basically says, seeing how we have this cloud of witnesses, um, that could be also translated, the word cloud could be translated host of witnesses. It's all, the, all those who have gone before us, the heritage of faith uh, that we, we share in common. That's, that's the idea he's, he's wanting you to understand. He says, he says uh, as we perform, take a brief look at them. This cloud of witnesses that surround us. Now, the word witness <clears throat> has a, a couple of meanings. Uh, the, it takes two different forms. One is those who watch uh, uh, a scene that's uh, unfolding before them. In other words, a spectator. Uh, you know, we've all been spectators at some kind of event at one time or another. Uh, probably an athletic event, uh, a concert, uh, a uh, any type of recital, some kind of thing uh, that went on where, where we were onlookers. The second idea for witness is someone who can recount what he has seen. Uh, th- that kind of a witness. Uh, like in a trial, someone who gives testimony. Someone who testifies to, to an event that he was witness to. Which is really more the idea here. The idea is not that all of the 
all of the the uh, 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 the saved departed are standing around a big round bowl in heaven, looking down at us, fumbling around. I kind of think that wouldn't be too pleasant, and it probably wouldn't be too glorious, and it probably would be boring as all get out. Uh, but uh, but the idea here is more is these people, these witnesses, they testify to the reality of faith, uh, to the reality that salvation is by faith and faith alone. That's that's really the idea that is being expressed here. He uses the same idea in 4.11 when he, was, when he talked about the first, the first example of faith in Abel. He says, by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. This is the idea. His life gives testimony to faith. That's, that's the idea that's being expressed. And that's what, that's, what, uh, that's what the author is calling us to. He says, you know, take a look. Take a look at all these people from chapter 11. I went to a great deal of, uh, great deal of time writing them all out for you. Take a look at them. Look at their lives. Look at how they operated in faith. Uh, they testify to us that faith is the way. Faith is what pleases God. No one comes to him without faith. Uh, they give testimony. Uh, and in that sense, they cheer us on. Uh, one commentator wrote, They are spectators who interpret to us the meaning of our struggle and bear testimony to the certainty of our success if we strive lawfully, and then it, it, which comes from 2 Timothy 2.5, which is every competitor has to compete honestly, basically, is the idea there. Uh, he, he, basically, he basically says, these people in faith have a vested, uh, a vested interest in you, and they testify by, of their faith to encourage you in your faith, Verse 4 of chapter 11 tells us what that vested interest is, that salvation is complete when Christ comes and the Christian age is, is, is brought into being. So this is the idea here. It's not the idea that they're just sitting around watching us. It's the idea that they testify to us the reality of faith. And then he says, he goes on from there, and he says that, uh, he says, so you know we have this great crowd of witnesses. Here's the action, the first action. He says, we need to lay aside every weight. The first thing he says is we need to lay aside every weight. Uh, the ESV uses weight. Some of the other translations use encumbrances or hindrances. It's all the same idea. Anything that anything that that causes us not to be able to run with top efficiency. That's that's what this word is talking about. That's what it's talking about here. Now I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not a runner, but I do know a couple of things about running. Uh, you don't want to run in your tracksuit. You don't want to run in a pair of construction boots, unless you have to, you know. Uh, but, uh, but if you're going to compete in a race, you want to have the proper attire. You want, to, you want to be prepared for the race. You need to have the proper equipment. And basically, in this type of a marathon race, it's as little as possible. And in the ancient Greeks, that's exactly what they did, as little as possible. But if you watch the races today... Uh, they spend a great deal of money, these, uh, clo- these uh, manufacturers of athletic gear, uh, making clothing that breathes, that is lightweight, that has no wind restriction, and on and on and on. They go to massive testing in this stuff just to get that split second faster is the, is the idea here. Just that minute bit of weight off the runner. Secondly, 
The runner has to be fit. He has to be in shape for the race. Now, you, you, don't, you don't go out the night before, you don't go out the week before a race and to the uh, all-you-can-eat uh, food place and eat everything on the menu. Uh, you, you're, you're scrupulous about your diet. You're scrupulous about your intake, and, your, and you make sure that your calorie count is what you need for the energy and the muscle mass, but it won't put on any extra weight. Those, those, are, those things are all important. He's saying no encumbrances, nothing that will hold you back. You don't put on that long flowing robe and then try to run in it because you're probably going to fall on your face. That's, that's the idea here. Now, these, these incumbents or hindrances here are not necessarily anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with owning a nice robe. It's just not something you run in, is the idea here. Uh, now, these hindrances can become sin if they keep you from, from, from doing what God has called you to do. If they're getting in the way of the service God has called you to, that's the idea here, is get them out of the way so that you can run the race. Don't allow anything to interfere. That's, that's the first thing he's saying. He said, now that you've taken a brief look at the witnesses that went before you, get rid of the things in your life that are unnecessary. Get rid of the things in your life that are keeping you from fully, fully exercising your faith to serve your God and your Lord. That's, that's the idea here. He says, but he goes on, and he goes on with that, and he says, he says, not only are you to lay aside every weight, but also sin. Literally in the Greek, it says the sin. The uh, EBS didn't put the, the uh, definite article in, but in the Greek, there's a definite article here, and it says the sin, which indicates, uh, while, while the author doesn't say what the specific sin is, it indicates that there may be one. That's, that's the idea here. But, he, but he, says, he says the sin, and he's not specific about it. It's, it's, uh, it's a particular sin, and it could be unbelief, it could be doubt. Those are the opposite of faith. It's certainly, it's certainly those kind of things would hinder you. If you don't think you can run the race, you may not run as well as you could be. It's a mindset kind of idea. Uh, but, uh, but here the idea is, is if there is sin in your life, you are to get rid of it, whatever it might be. And it may be a particular sin to you. It's, it's probably a little bit, bit, bit different to all of us. Uh, but the idea here is, is uh, uh, we are to rid ourselves of those things, those sins, those, which is also an encumbrance, incidentally, but nevertheless, that we are to rid ourselves of those sins which will stumble us in the race. You know, when you trip in a race, you probably aren't going to finish it. That's, that's, that's the bottom line here. He says, we don't want anything tripping you up, is the idea. In Luke... Okay, it's in here somewhere. In Luke, chapter 21, verse 34, Jesus said, But watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and the day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. That's the idea here. Don't let your heart be weighed down with anything that can trip you up in this life. Don't let sin trip you up. There are a number of... Uh, a number of other places where Scripture refers to lists of things that are sins that can trip us up. Colossians three eight, James one twenty one, First Peter twenty one, or First Peter two one. All those places talk about the various things, and and here he's not specific as to any one of those particular sins, 
although he says the sin, the one that really trips you, I think is what he's trying to mean here, is that which trips you up and holds you back. It keeps you from full participation in the race, is, is the idea that I think he's trying to express here. And, and he goes on to say about that sin, he makes a comment about it, he says, which clings so closely. That's what it says. He says there are those, those things that are particular to each one of us that cling closely. Literally, it reads, having laid about us. Uh, they, they kind of surround us. They, they hold us back. They're, they're those things which trip us up. <clears throat> those are the things which can take us out of the race or less efficient in our ability to race is the idea here. He says, don't let those things cling to you. Don't let them hold on to you. You know, uh, if you're running in a race and there's somebody holding on to your shirt, you're not going to run too well. You know, you got to drag them along too. And that's what he says. He says, and he says, so that we would, he goes on and he says, he says, let us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Once again, this is a marathon. It's not a wind sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, in our case as Christians, it goes from the moment you claim you claimed salvation in Jesus Christ. You came, you you professed your faith in Him. It, it started at that moment, and it goes until He calls you home. That that's, that's the length of the race. And He says we run the whole race. Is is the idea here? Uh, but the picture is a marathon. It has it has a beginning. It has an end, and and it is long. It is arduous. It is it is agonizing. Is, is the idea here. And he says it, it requires endurance and whatever the race is. And, and notice here he says, the race set before us. Each one of us, the race is similar, but it has different aspects. And he says, you run your race. That, that's really the idea. Run the race. Where God has put you in the race, run it. That's, that's the idea here. He says, and keep running it. He says to run it with endurance. Endurance is a, is a steady determination to keep going. That's, that's the idea here. Uh, to not quit, to not give up. I'm going to tell one of my war stories now. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was in basic training, uh, we, uh, we did a lot of running. The Army's big on running. They, they think it's, it's a good idea. And, uh, uh, but the, the big test came. When we went to the uh, to the weapons ranges to to uh, practice with those early in the morning, these trucks would show up at our barracks at Fort Ord, California, where I did basic infantry training. The uh, uh, the the basic training units were up on a hill. We called it the hill, incidentally. Uh, but anyway, these these trucks would show up with these trailers behind them that we called cattle cars because that's kind of what they looked like. And they loaded us up and they drove us down to the to the various Rifle ranges. And then they unloaded us, and we spent the day uh, sighting in the weapons and shooting and going on and on and on and going through all the, all the various aspects of, of making sure that uh, that weapon was cared for properly. When the day was over, the trucks did not come back. Uh, and we, uh, we were put into our, our company formations, and... Uh, we ran back to the to the barracks. It was six miles, incidentally, back up that hill. And uh, somewhere along the line, it's 
my, you, you saw guys start falling out, you know, and there was a truck picking them up. And so your brain said, I can get a ride back. <laughs> but something in the back of my head said, if you do that, you're going to pay a price that you're not going to want to pay. So I kept running. I never fell out. There, were, I, there was a couple of times I thought I was going to die, but I never fell out. You know, you endured it. When we got back, all those guys who were in the trucks, they put them down in the ravine in front of us that had made it. Who were, who, they finally let us stand at ease. Uh, but at any rate, we're looking at them, and we had this Puerto Rican senior drill instructor. And the only words that ever came out of this man's mouth that I actually understood were these. He looked at them and he looked at us and said, they lack intestinal fortitude. You know, and we're going to put intestinal fortitude into them. And they did. <laughs> uh, but uh, endurance, that's, the, that's what it says here. It's a steady determination to not drop out. It's to have intestinal fortitude. That's, that's, that's the idea that he's, he's expressing here. That he's expressing. In 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? So run that you all may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we do it to, to, uh, we, but we an imperishable. The idea here is, is that while in a human race only one winner, but in the faith race, all 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 can win is is the idea here, and all receive the same imperishable prize. There is there is a point to the running. So so he begins by saying he begins by saying take a look at these. Uh, Take a look at these uh, witnesses that went before you and kind of keep them in your mind and let them be a, an example to you and, 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 then, and then run the race that, that God has put you into. Get rid of any encumbrance, anything that weighs you down, and especially any sin that is clinging to you. Rid yourself of that. That you might run with endurance. You might stay in the race. You can take it to the end. And then he says, then he goes on in chapter, in verse 2. In verse 2, here is, the, here is the main point of this whole text, right here, the first few words. Looking to Jesus. That's what he says. Fix your gaze on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. Yeah, take a look at the people, the examples of humans who went before you, but the real example is Jesus Christ. This is where you are to fix your gaze. This is where you're to place your attention. Now, when you're in a race, there's a couple of things, there's some things you don't want to do. You don't want to be looking at the crowd because you'll fall. You don't want to be looking at your feet because you will fall. You don't want to be looking around at the other competitors and seeing where they are because you're going to fall. You'll look ahead. That's the idea. When we were running in that formation, you looked at the helmet of the guy in front of you. If you didn't, <laughs> you know, you probably hit yourself in the head with your M14. But it, it, we were running with a weapon at Port Arms, incidentally. But anyway, he's saying, he's saying, he's saying, fix your eyes on Jesus. This is the emphasis. This is the this is what he's discussing in this text. That Jesus becomes your focal point. 
He's the one you look to. The sovereign Lord of the universe. The one that he spoke of earlier that created all things when he began his whole, his whole section on, on, on chapter 11. The one who called all things into existence. He's the one that you are to focus on. He's where your gaze is to be fixed. That's, that's, that's what he's saying here. Looking to Jesus. <clears throat> Years ago when our middle two children were born, the first two they really were prior to this stuff being being a, a big deal. Uh, they came up with this thing they call Lamaze classes. And Kathy decided we needed to go to those. So we did. Unfortunately, those both of those kids were born in less than an hour or half of the onset of labor. We never used any of it. Uh, but uh, the last one, 45 minutes. So, you know, we never used any of it. But one of the things I remember about the Lamaze class was that you had to get some kind of a deal that mom knew about that was important to her and tape it on the wall so that when she was having a contraction, she could focus on something. She would have something to look at, to focus on, that would keep her attention. Jesus is our focal point. He is the one who takes us through our labors, if you will. That's, that's the idea here. He's where we're to put our focus. Moses, in chapter 11, it says of Moses in verse uh, 26, I think it is, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. This is the idea. The focus is on Jesus. The focus on the end of the race, on Jesus Christ. We're to fix our eyes on him. Uh, basically, it says, look away to Jesus. A brief look at the witnesses, but a constant focus on Christ. That's, that's, that's what he's saying is here. Look to Jesus. And then he goes on and he says, here's, here's why we want to look to Jesus. He's the founder and he's the perfecter of our faith. Uh, this word founder has, uh, has some interesting, uh, interesting uh, ways it can be translated. It's archelos, and it, it, he can be the, it means to be the pioneer. But one author says he's the trailblazer. He's the one that cut the path. We follow the path he cut. In other words, he's the guy that cut down the jungle, and, and we, we follow behind him. It's the idea here. That's one way it can be translated. It can be the pioneer. He's the one who, who led the... A led, you know, you watch movies of wagon trains. Well, he's the one that led the wagon train. Would be the idea. He's the pioneer. He's the guy who took us uh, on this journey. He's the the one who did. He's the one who said all of that. Uh, the other idea, he is the originator. Faith comes from him. It is a result of him. Is is the idea here that's being expressed? All those all of those things kind of play into this word. Uh, it speaks of him as being the preeminent one. It also, scriptures tell us how he in his incarnation demonstrated faith for us. Uh, Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. Matthew 4.1-10 tells us of the temptations that Satan brought on him in the wilderness and how he rejected them or turned them away by the word of God. Uh, <clears throat> Matthew 6.23, we see Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will. The agony of the cross was almost unbearable, and he knew it would be, uh, but yet he endured it. 
That's the idea here. This is these are the pictures of faith. Jesus set the pattern for us. Is the is the idea that he's saying that he's trying to say here? The heritage of faith from Adam on was a focus on its originator. First Corinthians chapter ten. Chapter 10, verses 1 and 3, and well, I'm going to start at 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea, and they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's, that's the point he's making here. Uh, he's the originator. He's the one who took us through. He's the one who took Israel through the wilderness. He's the one who takes us through. That's, that's, that's the idea he wants us to understand from that. Uh, he's the originator. He's the founder of faith. And then he goes on to say, and he's the perfecter of faith as well. And it basically, all this word means is, he's the one that carries that faith through to the end. That's what that means. He's the... He's the consummator of that faith. He's the one who brings it to its totality. He's the one who brings it to its end. He cried from the cross in John 19.30, It is finished. In In other words, the wages of sin had been paid. Salvation had been paid for. It was finished. Jesus originated he set the pace, and he completes faith. Those are those are the those are the ideas here. We fix our we fix our focus on him because of that. Because he is the one who originated faith. He's the one that set the pace for faith, and he's the one who completes faith. In him is where we have our existence. And then he goes on. He goes on from that, and he says he did it. He's a perfecter of our faith. He who for the joy that was set before him. And he, t- he says that he saw joy set before him. Now, I don't think the cross was joy- joyous. I don't think a lot of his earthly life was very joyous. It was all pretty, pretty, uh, pretty, uh, pretty intense. But the idea here is the path that Jesus followed was planned by the Father. He knew it would, it would produce suffering, Isaiah 53, 4-6. And afterwards, it would be filled with 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 joy. Uh, Psalms sixteen eleven. You made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are the are pleasures forever. Uh, you can also cross reference cross reference Acts two eight, uh, where that same verse is quoted again and applied to Jesus. That's the idea here. Uh, Jesus, Jesus did it all for the joy of saving people, saving the elect that God called into His glorious church. Uh, that's the joy that He's speaking of here. That, that's that's the joy that He received from this. He did it to bring to to bring men to God, and and He did it, and and He was joyous. In, in fulfilling that that idea. And he goes on to say, despising the shame. Now you need to understand, I think uh, one of the things we need to understand is when he talks about despising the shame, uh, you go to Philippians chapter 2, 
And we read what Jesus did in the incarnation, that he emptied himself. In other words, he, he didn't stop being divine. He didn't stop being God the Son. He just voluntarily laid aside the prerogatives of using his divinity. He trusted, and he trusted himself to, to his Father, and he operated through the Holy Spirit. He didn't do it on his own accord. That's what, that's what the text tells us. He laid all of that aside. And not only did he do that, he then was found in the form of human flesh. Uh, he became a man. He didn't stop being God. He just stopped temporarily using those prerogatives. And he, and he became a man. To me, those, those things right there are almost inconceivable. Why would God do that? Well, he did it to save me. That's the incredible thing. But not only did he do those things, but in order to bring that salvation to it is finished, he had to go to the cross. And you have to understand that in his day, the cross was horrific. It was a horrible death. It's probably one of the most brutal deaths man has ever come up with. It was brutal. It was horrible. But even more than that, to the Jews who wanted him on that cross, who demanded him on that cross, they were basically saying, God curse you. Because Deuteronomy tells us that he who hangs on a tree is cursed. That was the idea. Is that he would take the shame of being cursed by God to the cross. That's the picture here. The action was immensely hateful. It was brutal. And basically, those who were put on a cross were shamed forever. That was, that was the idea. The problem is, the grave couldn't hold him. He arose. I, that isn't in the text, but I had to lighten it up. <laughs> Well, it kind of is in the text because the next part of the verse says, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, as he's seated at the right hand of the, of, of, of the throne of God. Ultimately, that's where he is. He took his position. He, can finish, he finished the task. He did the job of salvation. He made salvation possible for you and me. He made it possible that the elect could be saved and brought into the family of God. That's, that's what he did. And as a result of that, he took his rightful place at the throne of God, at the position of power and honor. There's no shame here. It's glorious. Uh, this, is a, this is a repeated theme throughout the book of, um, of Hebrews. In chapter 1, verse 3, he it speaks of him being seated at the right hand of God. In chapter 8, verse 1, he's seated at the right hand of God. In chapter 10, verse 12, he's seated at the right hand of God. Here in chapter 12, verse 2, seated at the right hand of God. And I think most significantly, in chapter 1, verse 13, it says, God speaking to the Son says, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. In other words, all the enemies of God are defeated foes. Because Jesus completed the task of salvation. He took his place in heaven. 
He assures believers of his assistance in the race. And he calls on us to fix our gaze on him. Make him our focal point. Make him the one whom we are looking to. You know, one of the biggest problems that we often have in churches is we want to compare ourselves to each other. You know, it works out a little bit better because I just, all I have to do is find somebody that I think is a little bit less than me and then I can feel better about me. And then, of course, he does the same thing, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. But the problem is, I'm not supposed to be your focal point and you're not supposed to be mine. Jesus is. This is who we look to. This is where we get our inspiration. This is whom we follow. Now, yeah, we're to have respect for our leaders, our elders, and our pastors, and and I have no problem with that, and especially in this church, I have no problem with it. Um, But the the reality is they have their focus on Jesus, which is what makes them good leaders. And we are to follow that. We are to have our focus on Jesus. It's It's not what Rebecca did versus what Elizabeth did, it's what Jesus did in each of them. Sorry to pick on you, but, you know, I've known you too long since you were. Anyway, that's the idea here. That's, that's the focus. Jesus. And then, then he goes on in these final verse, in the final verse, in verse 3. And we're to consider Jesus. That's what it says here. It says, consider him who endured from, the, uh, from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider is a word is to reckon up, to uh, to compare, to weigh. In other words, take a look at Jesus and weigh him against what you see otherwise. I didn't really intend to go. This wasn't in my lesson, but I was. I just kind of looked at the news the last couple of days since since the Supreme Court made a few rulings, and and it's amazing to me um, the reaction to this. I mean, I remember when when the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was a constitutional right. Um, there was a lot of somewhat peaceful protest. I don't think we burned any cities over that. But Portland is in, they're tearing buildings down, burning them, and breaking windows. They, they show these pictures of people just vehemently angry and screaming and, and making threats. We have a, a congresswoman from California who called for insurrection, yet she didn't get arrested, and they didn't form a January 6th committee for her. But nevertheless, she called for insurrection because we've decided that it is not a constitutional right to kill unborn babies. You understand that's the issue? The issue is, it's not a woman's health issue. It's a constitutional right to kill the unborn. And they're rioting over it and screaming over it. And you wonder, what kind of a sick mind thinks that way? That's what I wonder anyway. Well, I know what kind of a sick mind it is. It's one that's totally controlled by the satanic world. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're even going to the clinics to try to help women, pro-life deals and threatening them, telling them we're not, they're making death threats against people. They're, they're calling for the death of the Supreme Court. They're calling for the overthrow of the Constitution because they didn't get their way. It's the classic, I'm taking my ball and going home because you won't do it my way. 
you know, is the idea here. This text says, consider Jesus. Consider what he endured. I mean, we are living in a world that's, that's a mess. But he says, consider what he do, endured from sinners. Such hostility against himself. And, you know, you, you look at this and he says, he says, you know, don't, don't compare what's going on. Once again, don't compare what's going on in your life against other believers. Don't compare if you've got it worse or better or this or that. Or, and don't come up with the idea that because somebody is going through a trial that they're less of a Christian than you are because you're not. Just wait. Uh, but, you know, uh, that's, that's kind of the idea here. Uh, he goes on to tell them, he's going to tell them in the next verse, in verse 4, he says, you know, you haven't, you, haven't, you, haven't, you haven't suffered to the point of shedding blood. In other words, you haven't been martyred, he tells them. He says, you haven't come to that point. They haven't put a gun in your head and shot you yet. That's really what, what he's saying to them. Well, he didn't say gun because they didn't have them, but nevertheless. He says, he says, he says, uh, he says the focal point is Jesus, and, and think about what he went through. And fix your eyes on him. He says, he endured opposition. Uh, he came to fulfill the messianic promise. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to fill the promise God made to Israel. <clears throat> and yet, what was the result? First of all, the Jews rejected him. They wouldn't accept him. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted. They wanted someone to overthrow Rome now, because we want it our way and we want it now, and that wasn't why he came. Uh, they didn't see any need that they needed to be saved because they thought they were just fine. So they rejected him. Uh, he was met with willful unbelief and then opposition. He was faced with hate from a sinful world that was set against God's truth. John 17, 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. In other words, don't expect any different, is what he's telling us there. Uh, we should expect to, ser- to face that same opposition. But he goes on to say, he says, he says, yeah, there, there is hostility. Uh, the sinners of this world are hostile, and they are going to be hostile toward you. And I think we're going to see that hostility growing. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say from that, he says, he says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's telling you this so that you don't grow weary or faint-hearted. He says, focus your life on me. One commentator translated this to say, fainting in your soul. You know, that's the idea here, that this you fall into some kind of a depression, uh, just totally devoid of ability to function. When I was in seminary, we had the opportunity to meet a man named Gorgi Venz. Yeah, Gorgi Venz was a, was, a, <clears throat> excuse me, was a Baptist pastor in uh, Russia. Uh, during Khrushchev, and so on and so forth, and he was uh, he was uh, sentenced to prison in Siberia uh, because he preached the gospel. And that's why he went. And uh, uh, during the Carter administration, I don't know if you some of you remember this, some of you weren't 
weren't even born probably. But anyway, um, during the Carter administration, uh, there was a time the Russians, there was some negotiating back and forth, and Carter had the great triumph of having dissidents released. Well, Gorgie Vince was one of the dissidents uh, that they released uh, because he was dying in prison. He was going to die, and they didn't want him to die on him and become a martyr. So they sent him to America. Uh, but he went around and he was talking to the seminary, and, and we asked him, one of the questions we asked him, and this is the point I'm trying to get to, one of the, one of the questions we asked him through a translator, because he spoke Russian, not English, but anyway, one of the questions that we asked him was, how does the church keep going when they put the pastors in jail? That, that was the question. And he looked at us kind of like, well, duh, the next guy in line stands up and starts preaching. You know, that, that struck home. You know, the next guy in line stands up and starts preaching. And the church takes care of his family. And he said, not only that, while we're in prison, we look for the job that will get us to the most people, which is an exciting job. It's burning the waste. Not a pleasant job. He says, because that way we get to talk to everybody in the camp. And we share the gospel. Don't grow faint-hearted. That's what Jesus calls us to. Don't grow faint-hearted no matter what happens, no matter what you see. Focus on Jesus. That's where your focus is. Remember what He went through. Compare yourself with Him. And then you won't think so... They think you have things so bad, ultimately, is what it's saying. It's saying stay focused. Fix your eyes on Jesus and stay strong till the end. Galatians chapter chapter 2, verse 20, Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then, of course, his famous final words to his son in the faith, Timothy, in Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and six through 8. For I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering. You understand a drink offering was, a, was the offering that was, per, was the, the cup of wine that was poured out over the, over the, uh, over the, uh, the burnt offering. And basically, basically what he's saying here is my life was totally, because that was a, no priest didn't get part of that. Nobody got any part of that. That was a fragrance that, that basically went to God was the idea here. In other words, I'm a sweet-smelling savor in the nostrils of God, is what he's saying when he, when he says this. He says, I'm ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only me, but to all who have, all who have loved his, his appearing. In other words, this is how we are to live our lives. Totally dedicated to our God, focused on Jesus, despising any shame that comes with that, remembering Him. Focused on Him is the idea. Is the idea. We have a crowd of witnesses who went before us, who endured, and we can look to them, but our main focus is Jesus. That's what He's telling us here. The conclusion to this life of faith is a concentrated focus on Jesus. Any comments or questions this morning?
Good, because I'm out of gas. <laughs> I think it's interesting, because I can't prove anything like this, but um, there's a crowd of witnesses that are watching them at that time. And, and I've had people ask me when Sometimes you wonder, I wonder if they could... wonder if they can see me. I hope they don't. Graduation <laughs> or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think they're busy. I think they're busy. Yeah, they're busy. I think they're busy. I don't think, I don't think they're sitting around watching. I don't think that's what it means. I think it means they're, they're a testimony to us is the, is, is the idea of what it means. But it is kind of an interesting thought. Uh, sometimes I think about that. Oh, I hope my parents didn't see me do that. <laughs> I've I've had that. Thought. <laughs> I don't think they're ever sitting around. No, I don't. I don't either. I mean, just the glory of God keeps you <coughs> fascinating. <coughs> wow, I got done a little early. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we uh, we thank you this morning. Uh, we thank you for this this conclusion to this section on faith, and we we just ask Father that we would be a people who would fix our gaze upon Jesus. We'd be looking to Him. We would understand that he is the one who authored faith. He is the one who perfected faith at the cross. And he is currently seated at the right hand of majesty. He makes intercession for us from that place and that he is going to get up from that place and come take us home soon. And Father, we just, uh, we just give you praise and glory for all that you have done on our behalf. And Father, we just ask that we would be found faithful in whatever arena you call us to, that we would run the race to completion, and we would, we would give you all the glory and all the thanks for we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.